It is exciting to be part of God's family, but we also have other families, right? The ones we came with today, maybe some of you left some of them at home. That may have been intentional, I don't know. You grew up in a family situation, all of them a little bit different. And today we actually want to begin a new series that we've called This Is Us. Now, the reason I've called it that, there were lots of other titles, lots of other themes, lots of other things that we could have put together for this. But the reason we titled it This Is Us is because family is complicated. It, it's not necessarily what you've seen depicted on TV, and it may not necessarily be what you had in mind. It may not be the ideal. And so we want to be honest, and so that's what we want to do with this, with this series that begins today and, and takes us really through the summer. What we want to do is to be honest about family life, yours and mine. For this series to be any help to anybody at all, it cannot be a pie-in-the-sky kind of presentation lecture series on family. I've been there, I've heard that, and what happens is you go away feeling discouraged and guilty because my family doesn't look like the ideal family. When I go back home, it doesn't match it at all, and instead of coming away with hope, I come away with discouragement. That's not what we want this to be. I also don't want it to be a look back, an idyllic look back into the past at what family was as depicted on 1950s and 1960s TV, stuff that you would now see you know, on uh, TV land or something like that. Now, I grew up watching some of those things, so I know I am that old, okay? I, I am pre-color TV. That's me. Some of you are pre-color TV. Some of you go, hey, listen, I was pre-radio. No, maybe not. Uh, but many of you sitting here are pre-color TV. And some of those shows you remember, Ozzy and Harriet, Father Knows Best, Leave It to Beaver. And so those things were in black and white. Um, the show, they were recorded that way and on your TV that way. So pre-color TV, that's, that's pre-Brady Bunch, pre-Gilligan's Island, all that before that. There was TV before all that. And some of those pictures of family that we see there, we look at that and we go, wow, that, 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 was, that was a great time. That was a, a perfect time. Now, I don't want to slam that either because i got to tell you, the, the families, family setup that was in the 50s and in the early 60s, that provided some consistency and stability that really helped us as a nation to bond together and to grow. But... Here's the truth about it. You, if you had family in the 50s and 60s, if you were then back then, and I, I had it in the 60s, okay? If you had it back then, no matter how much you look back on that family life and go, man, it was simple, man, it was good, I really enjoyed those times, those were better times, better family situations, I can promise you this, it was not perfect. I didn't find that out till later. I grew up in a home, listen, it was a good home. I'm not slamming my mother, I'm not slamming my father, I'm not slamming my brother and sister, grandparents. It, I grew up in a good 
home situation. I'm grateful for the situation that I grew up in. We grew up going to church, doing things as a family. I grew up in a, in a, in a, in a really good family situation. So I'm not knocking that by any stretch of the imagination. But as I look back, I began to see as an adult, it may be not as ideal as I thought it was at the time. And so what we don't want to do with this series is just go, hey, listen, if we could just turn the clock back, if we could just park ourselves back in the 50s and 60s and let everything be like that, then it would just be perfect because it's not. Because we don't want this series to compare family life today with family life in the 50s. Instead, we want this series to say, okay, given where family is right now, how can God speak into that? In a time where families have changed and are changing, what does the eternal God have to say about our families here and now? Because things have changed. In researching this, I found an article. Uh, it was in the Washington Post. It was written by a lady named Bridget Schultz, who's also written a couple of books. Uh, she's a Washington Post contributor, Washington Post uh, writer. And, and this is what she said. I'm just, I just want to read it to you because it's a little bit of what I've been saying right now. She wrote, The iconic 1950s family of the breadwinner father going off to work and the caregiver mother taking care of the home front has been described by economists as the most efficient family structure. Some of you experienced that. You know, it seemed to work okay. Everyone has a distinct job to do in their separate spheres of public and private life, and in the 1950s, the majority of children were being raised in such typical as she put, said in quotes, typical families. We all know that that's not true anymore. But perhaps what we haven't fully understood yet is that today there is no one typical family. The breadwinner homemaker family, the norm since the dawn of the Industrial Revolution in the 19th century, is being replaced by a new norm of diversity. There hasn't been... This is, uh, she is quoting here, Philip Cohen, a sociologist from the University of Maryland. There hasn't been the collapse of one dominant family structure and the rise of another. It's really a fanning out into all kinds of family structures. Philip Cohen says this, different is the new normal. Different is a new normal. Now, here's the deal. We don't have to like that. We don't even have to approve of it. But we would be foolish not to recognize it. We need to recognize the culture in which we live today. We need to understand our times. We need to know what's going on around us. Simply pretending that it doesn't exist or simply wishing that it were something other than it is doesn't do anything. This is a different time. And at one time, if we put the word family and ask, ask people to define it, Americans particular to define it, they could give us a picture of the family and it would be fairly consistent across the board. It didn't matter whether we were talking about white families or African-American families or Hispanic families. We would have an idea of what family was that was fairly consistent. And now, if you toss, listen, here... Go to your local middle school and ask them to define family. 
I don't know how many students would be in a typical class, but if you had 25 students, I would dare say that over half of them would provide a definition of family that doesn't look anything like what you think of as family. Now again, we don't have to like it, we don't have to agree with it, but we do have to acknowledge it. We do have to recognize the reality in which we live and ask God to speak into that reality, not some fantasy we have about the way life ought to be. And so what I want to do is to look at what our current situation is and ask an eternal God to speak his eternal truth as to where we are today. And so I want to begin by saying, uh, first of all, that there is reality. There is the real. It's what we experience day to day when you go back home in your family, whatever your situation is, uh, there is the real. Uh, but there's also God's ideal. And with that in mind, I want to give us three cautions as we go forward. I'm going to put these up on the screen for you. And uh, you've got, uh, it's in your notes, uh, a couple of blanks you may want to fill in. I think this is important that we acknowledge these cautions as we move forward. And the first one is this. We must be cautious not to define God's ideal downward to make it compatible with our current situation. That is one approach, but it's not a good approach. And that is, okay, here's, here's the current reality in which we live, the big, the big mess, all this vast array of families, and here's God's ideal. And because God's ideal is so much different than the current reality, in order to make me feel better about life, I'm just going to kind of pull that down to bring it in line. So basically, God's happy with whatever. You know, God approves. He puts his stamp approval on whatever. God doesn't bother God. God God just says, you know what? Things are different now. I'll just change. Well, that's not going to happen. And we need to be wise enough as believers to say, you know what? I'm not dragging God's ideal down just because it doesn't match reality. The second caution is this. We need to be cautious not to allow our idyllic images of the past to replace what God's Word teaches. In other words, no matter how good family life might have been in the 1950s, that is not our model. Our model is what God's Word teaches about family relationships. Now, we need to be really, really careful because we have these images. Uh, again, I mentioned some of those TV shows Things, I don't know, I think the wheels may have fell off with all in the family, uh, you know, with family, looking at family life, uh, because you went from what looked like a functional family to something that was completely dysfunctional. Somebody here told me, I think they have a doormat in front of their house that says we put the fun in dysfunctional. I don't know, was that you? I don't, dysfunction's kind of the normal now, isn't it? Uh, but even even as we moved forward, um, I remember uh, watching, now I don't even know where to place it in time, but I remember watching the Cosby show and looking at that and thinking, okay, there's a great role model for family right there. The only problem was Ozzie and Harriet and the Cosby show were still fiction. And so you want to be really, really cautious that you're not building your life, building your model of family on fiction. You want to build it on fact. You want to build it on truth. You want to build it on principles found in God's Word. And here's a third caution. 
we must be cautious not to give up our pursuit of God's ideal because we've fallen and still fall short of it. In other words, as the Bible teaches us, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't quit. Now, there's good news and bad news here. I'll give you the bad news first. No matter how much you pray, how much you work, how much you strive to build that family that's ideal in God's sight, you will still fall short. You're never going to make it. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. You'll get a lot closer trying than not trying. If you just throw in the towel, if you just quit, if you just say it's too hard, you'll never get there. You're never going to. I was talking to somebody this morning, and it's okay, I can talk about her because she's in, she's in Powerhouse. Uh, I was talking to somebody this morning, and we were talking about children riding the bicycle, and she was talking about how hard it was for her to learn to ride the bicycle. I look back and I go, you know what? The same was true for Jackie when she was a little girl. She was scared to death to ride a bicycle without training wheels. And I got so frustrated. Now, you may have thought, oh, Pastor Jimmy, he was a perfect father. I I know, I know, I can read your mind. That's exactly what you were thinking. I got so frustrated with Jackie trying to learn the bicycle and she just, she'd cry and she'd whine and she'd quit and she didn't want to do it anymore. And I'm like, it ain't that hard. And I'd keep putting her on and I'd keep pushing her off and she'd put her feet down. I go, you can't do that. You have to keep your feet on the pedals. You have to keep pedaling. You have to keep moving forward. But she'd quit and she'd quit. We lived in Savannah at the time. I took it to the beach. I said, sand is soft. We'll move over where the firm sand is. Even if you fall, it's not going to hurt. And still we had the same struggle. I took her bicycle. I threw it in the trash can. I, yes, that is a motivational tip right there. I, I tossed it. Oh, it took so long to get her to learn the bicycle. But you know what? She can't ride it today because after a little loving encouragement from her dad, she learned to ride. And so don't quit. I will admit she comes by it honest because I've heard horrific stories of me trying to learn the bicycle. So I guess it's not that easy for everybody. But Don't grow weary. Don't stop just because it's hard. And it is hard. I will tell you right now, to try to have a godly family in the culture in which you live, where admittedly there are so many other options and forces and influences on today's children than I had and that many of you had, let's admit that. That's true. But it's hard. But it was hard then. It may be harder now, but it was hard then too. It takes a consistency and a persistence, an understanding of what God's will is personally, and a commitment to live that out in your own life and to communicate that uh, to your kids and to your family and to your grandchildren on down the line. Now, because we are imperfect people, and that all of us are qualified for that, okay? Because we are imperfect people, we will never have perfect families.
And no matter how that family down the street may appear to you right now, I can promise you this, they don't have a perfect family either. Theirs is messed up. It just may not show up in the same ways that it does with yours. And so we're all imperfect. The good news for all of us is that God forgives and that God restores. And in Him, in Him, we have the ability to forgive others in our family and to receive forgiveness from those in our family. In Him, we have the potential for restoration and hope. And that's where I want this series to go. This is not to make you feel guilty about how messed up your family is. This is not to get you going home, dragging your chin because you feel discouraged because you're not living up to and your family's not living up to God's ideal. This series is about possibilities and about hope. It's not simply about what should be and ought to be. It's about what can be. This is where we're headed. This is the direction. And I wanted to spend today getting us pointed in that direction. There is hope. There is a possibility that your family life can begin to look more like what God's ideal is. And there's a possibility that your family can reflect, even if imperfectly, the heart and the mind of Christ Jesus. And so I've titled today's message, which will spill over into next week, I've entitled today's message, Get Real. (laughs) So what are we going to get real about? We want to get real in the sense that we deal with the reality of what family life is. We've already been through that. You go through it every day. But we, we've already acknowledged that the reality of family life is where we want to, we wanna, that's a realm in which we will function. But we also want to get real in the sense that we consider what a grace-filled, grace-infused family can be. So here's where we're going to begin. Uh, your notes have more than we're covering today. Some of you are going, Whew. Um, This actually started out as one sermon. And wisdom taught me that it's actually two in one. And so we're actually going to draw a line. We're only going to look at the first point that's on your notes and the first point that will be up on the screen, and that is this. Getting real means showing grace to one another. That's where we want to start. Getting real in family life means showing grace to one another. And here's my basic premise. I'm going to read it because I don't want to get it wrong. Here's my basic premise. Where are we starting? Where's where's our beginning spot? Here it is. Because we are all frail creatures of dust, because we are imperfect even on our best days, because we often find ourselves disappointed by our family members or that we are disappointing to our family members, we need grace from above and we need to show grace to one another. A Christian family should be, ought to be, and can be a group of people who have experienced personally the grace of God in their lives and share that grace with each other. So what's grace? 
That would be good to know, wouldn't it? If we want a grace-filled, grace-infused family, what is grace? You've heard that word growing up in a church. You, you know that it's a, it's a Christian word. You, you know that. You've experienced it. You go, okay, we're called grace fellowship. So there's a reason for that. It's not, hey, there was this once this girl named Grace and decided to have a church and that's got the name. No, that's not it. What is this grace that can so fill us infuse our lives, and spill over in our families. And here is the definition of grace if you want to write it down. This is a simple, easy-to-understand definition of grace. Grace is giving to another person something they do not deserve. Grace is giving to another person something they do not deserve. One of the major causes of family tension is that we don't feel like we're getting what we deserve. I'm working harder. I'm doing more. I'm not getting back what I deserve. I am being cheated. I am being shorted. And it doesn't make me happy. And so we subtly and sometimes not so subtly do our best to get even. Because I'm not getting what I feel like I need, because I'm not getting my needs met, because it's unfair, I'm carrying more of the load, then somehow I'm going to get even. So we do things. Some of them are subtle words we kind of toss in here and there just to make sure they understand I'm keeping count. I'm making my list. I'm checking it twice. Forget about that guy in the North Pole. I'm, I'm storing this one back. And I'll let you have it sooner or later. We're going we're gonna to even the scales here. We're going to make it even. And so we do things and we say things. And instead of treating others... Here's Jesus' solution. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. In other words, treat other people the way you would like to be treated. But you see, getting even says, I'm going to do to them the way they've done to me. Or maybe even, I'm going to do to them the way I think they would do to me. I'm going to get ahead of it. I'm going to go ahead and get, get on this side first. Therefore, when I get knocked back, at least I'm not as far back. And so that that just counteracts grace. Parents, you know this. I, I mean, you, I'll let you fill in the blank here. Okay, here's the situation. One of your children comes up and uh, is whining and complaining. And so you ask the question, why did you hit your sister? And the answer is... She hit me first. 